Amen. Amen. We'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It's good to have Miss Lloyd and her whole family here this morning. And uh, uh, so I, I always, I so admire the way that they uh, just get together every time uh, something around Renato is happening. Renato's birthday was, would have been Tuesday, he passed away a couple years ago, 20, 2020. Uh, 2021, and uh, boy, what a what a, uh, a tough loss that was. And um, um, I tell you what, though, I, I was as we were singing that song, I was sitting there thinking about Brother Renato. It's exactly what he did: faithful to the finish, faithful to the cross. Went out in exactly the way that I want to go out, right? Faithful to the very end. And uh, we miss him. We miss him a whole lot. And I uh, uh, got to hear him sing a few times. Uh, sang, he sang at his own funeral, in fact, but uh, we had a recording of him singing, and uh, we miss him a whole lot, but uh, uh, he, had, he had a great testimony of knowing Jesus Christ as his Savior. We didn't lose him. We know exactly where he's at, right? He's in heaven, and uh, looking forward to seeing him again, and I uh, hope, hope I can be the same way that he was, faithful to the finish, faithful to the cross, right? Leave that legacy behind, and that's exactly what he did. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is a verse that's obviously verse 14, a verse that's very familiar to us. And we'll just read it before we get into the message this morning, but it says this, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, there's so much to this matter of prayer, and we have so much to learn about what prayer really is. And I believe that there are so few people, uh, not, just, not just today, but even throughout history, who really know how to pray. What is prayer, really? Is it, is it just asking things of God? Is it, a, is it a beggar knocking on a rich man's door? Is it, is it reading through a list of requests while we kneel? Is it even thanking God for, for who and what he is to us? And obviously, I'm asking these questions in this way because the point is that that's not really what prayer is all about. Prayer is so much more than that. Now, certainly, those things would be involved in prayer, but prayer is so much more than that. And I think we have such a small view of what prayer really is. And when we focus on prayer as being just some of those things that I mentioned, we miss the entire point of why we pray. I believe it involves asking God for those things because it reminds us of our absolute dependence on Him. But... True prayer is seeking the face of God because in him we find everything we could ever need. Psalm 25 verse 1 says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Now, David, I believe, knew how to pray. And it doesn't take very long of reading in the book of Psalms and reading the Psalms that David wrote to know that David knew how to pray. And David said, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. I have a book that I, that, um, uh, I believe I shared it with you. I think, in fact, I think it was the, the book of the year that we had that I, that I just gave out all the copies of and asked you to read. It was called The Kneeling Christian. And The Kneeling Christian was written by, uh, the, in fact, it says, an unknown Christian is the author of that book. And I think there was people who probably knew, and if you read through the book, you'll see certain situations and circumstances that people who knew this man probably knew that it would have been him, but his name is lost to history. We have no idea who wrote the book, and I, and I know he did that on purpose. But I'm going to quote a few things from that book, read a few things from that book this morning. Uh, but, but the author of The Kneeling Christian said this, When we desire the Lord Jesus Christ to behold our souls, 
we also desire that the beauty of holiness may be upon us. When we lift up our souls to God in prayer, it gives God an opportunity to do what he will in us and with us. It is putting ourselves at God's disposal. He continues by saying this, the highest result of prayer is not deliverance from evil or the securing of some coveted thing, but knowledge of God. That's what happens when we pray. The result of prayer is not that we get things from God. The result of prayer is that by it, we are made very different people. That's the point of prayer. The author said this, I believe that much of our failure in prayer is due to the fact that we have not looked into the question, what is prayer? It's good to be conscious conscious that we are always in the presence of God. It is better to gaze upon him in adoration, but it is best of all to commune with him as a friend, and that is prayer. I want to draw your attention there to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 this morning. We're going to use that as our text, so if you put a ribbon or a, or a, a bookmark in there, we're going to be coming back to it. But I think we use this verse often as a verse of revival, and I don't, I don't think that's mistaken. But God brought this verse to my mind this week, and as I meditated on it, the thought struck me that this really is a verse on prayer. Certainly we can talk about revival. If my people which are called by my name, and then he gives us the, the results, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. And that's where the revival aspect of it comes in. But the healing of the land takes place at the very end. There's a whole lot of things that take place at the beginning. And what it's saying is, if my people would pray, then I'll see all those things. And even more specifically, it's a verse on hindrances to getting our prayers answered. So this morning... What I want to talk to you about is the preparation for prayer. The preparation for prayer. There's so much to say about prayer, but it all starts here. If you have not prepared yourself to pray, then all of the prayer in the world, all the praying you could possibly do is not doing much, if any good. So let's take a few minutes this morning to talk about the preparation for prayer. But let's have a word of prayer before we get into that this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And God, I'm humbled to be even talking about this topic this morning because I know that I have so much farther to go in in the way that I pray and so much farther that I can learn about prayer. But God, I believe with all my heart that we're never going to see you do anything in this place until we become people of prayer. And until we know how to get a hold of you, until we know what prayer really is, we'll never be able to accomplish in this place what you've laid out from the beginning of the creation for us to accomplish. God, I don't want to leave anything on the shelf that we should have had, that we should have done, that we should have been able to accomplish because we didn't know how to get a hold of you and ask, because we didn't know how to get a hold of you and commune, because we didn't know how to have the heart that's right with you. So God, I pray that this message this morning would speak to my heart first, but then it would speak to all of our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would do the work in our hearts that only he can do. And God, we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I think we see is this. And we see that right there in Second Chronicles chapter 7 is that we must humble ourselves. He says very plainly, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Prayer takes humility. Prayer is, it takes a realization on our part that we're not everything we often think ourselves to be. Right? So, so often we have this, this, this lofty view of ourselves. Well, I'm, I'm pretty useful to God. I'm pretty, pretty valued in his service. And I'm not saying that God doesn't value you when you're serving But we have a high view of ourselves so often. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot fight sin. We cannot win souls. We cannot build a church. We cannot please God on our own. I want to read a couple lengthy passages from this book about the man known as Praying Hyde. And maybe you've heard his name before. But John Hyde was known, became known as a man of prayer. But he was not always that way. 
And the author says this, some of us have been reading about praying Hyde. Truly, his intercession changed things. People tell us that they were thrilled when John Hyde prayed. They were stirred to their inmost being when he just pleaded the name, Jesus, 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 and a baptism of love and power came upon them. But it was not John Hyde, it was the Holy Spirit of God, whom one consecrated man filled with that spirit brought down upon all around him. May we not all become praying Hydes? Say, no, he had a special gift of prayer. Well, very well, how did he get it? He was once an ordinary Christian man, just like any of us. Have you noticed that, humanly speaking, he owed his prayer life to the prayers of his father's friend? Now get hold of this point. It is one of, the great, is one of greatest importance and one that may profoundly affect your whole life. Perhaps I may be allowed to tell this story fully, for so much depends upon it. Shall we quote John Hyde himself? He was on board a ship sailing for India when he was, where he was going as a missionary. He says, my father had a friend who greatly desired to be a foreign missionary, but was not permitted to go. This friend wrote me a letter directed in care of the ship. I received it a few hours out of New York Harbor. The words were not many, but the purpose of them was this. I shall not cease praying for you, dear John, until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. When I read the letter, I crumpled it up in anger and threw it on the deck. Did this friend think I had not received the baptism of the Spirit or that I would think of going to India without this equipment? I was angry, but by and by a better judgment prevailed and I picked up the letter and read it again. Possibly I did need something that I had not yet received. I paced up and down the deck, a battle raging within. I felt uncomfortable. I loved the writer. I knew the holy life he lived, and down in my heart there was a conviction that he was right and that I was not fit to be a missionary. This went on for two or three days until I felt perfectly miserable. At last, in a kind of despair, I asked the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit, and the moment I did this, I began to see myself and what a selfish ambition I had. See, we'll never be effective for God in prayer until we see God for who he really is and until we see ourselves for who we really are. God is so much greater and so much bigger than we can ever imagine him to be, and we are so much smaller and so much less significant than we think ourselves to be. And until we put God in that place and we put ourselves in the place where we belong, we will never be effective in our prayer lives for God. Didn't the apostle John say, he must increase and I must decrease? I think a lot of people have the desire to be great prayer warriors for God so they can walk around and tell everybody what God did through their prayer. That's, not, that's the exact opposite of what prayer should be doing in our lives. We, we're so backwards in these things. I want to be a great prayer warrior so I can tell everybody what God did through me. That's, we're so backwards in our humility and in our pride. When we're in our proper place and when God is in his proper place, then we're just beginning to get into that position to pray effectively. Turn over to John, James chapter 1. I'm sorry, James chapter 1. That's how you cure a, a wandering mind that suddenly wants to think about everything else under the sun when you kneel down to pray. I've been there. You, you kneel down to pray and everything that you have to do that day and the next and that week and that month and everything that's pressing on you all comes flooding to your mind and before you know it, you're not even praying anymore. You're thinking about all of those things. You fix your mind upon God. That's how you cure a wandering mind. Seeing God for who he is will remove all doubt and lack of faith in prayer. If I really see God as the one who can truly answer my prayer, then I should have no problem praying the biggest prayers imaginable. James chapter 1 and verse number 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. 
For he that wavereth is like the wave of a sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Turn over to Psalm 106. How, how hateful pride must be in the sight of God. Sometimes our pride will cause us to think we know more than God does. And I'm not going to read the entire passage there in Psalm 106. But if you go back through it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to see that, that they were begging God for these things. They wanted God to answer their prayers. And they go into a couple different things. But you see, and especially talking about the children of Israel here, they wanted all of this stuff from God. And the Bible says in Psalm 106 and verse 15, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in, I've got to have this, and God's got to do that, and if he doesn't do that, then he's failing me. He's, he's, he's letting me down. He's not keeping his promise that he'll always be faithful to me. No, sometimes you're asking for the wrong things, because we ask often in pride. God, if you would just do this, then people would see, and people would know, and people would understand. And Hey, if you're asking about it for, for, for souls to be saved, then I know that God is 100% on board with that. But a lot of times, we're not asking for things because we want that to be the result. We want God to give us something that we think we can't live without. Ezekiel chapter 14, if you want to turn over there, you can. But in verse number 3, in fact, turn over there. I'd like you to see this verse. I think this is a great one for us to look at. Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. That'll help you get there maybe a little bit. But Ezekiel chapter 14 and again, obviously, Ezekiel was, was, uh, had some, had some uh, interesting things that God gave him to do to get his message across to the people of Israel. But, but God is talking to Israel about the idolatry that was taking place there in the land. And in verse number three, God says this, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? See, so often in prayer, stated or not, is to lift up ourselves. That's our goal in prayer. When our goal becomes only the glory of God through prayer, then only then that God can answer our prayer. When that becomes our goal, I want Jesus Christ to be lifted up in my life. And if that means that he doesn't answer this request, if that means he answers this request far beyond what I think he would ever uh, whatever we could ask or think. Whatever happens, I want God to be glorified. And when that becomes the point of your prayer, then we're getting into the place of humility where God is on his throne. We are in the place that we belong and God can start to answer our prayer for us. My desire should not be on the gifts that I can get through prayer. It should be on Jesus Christ himself. When we move into that position of prayer, then we're beginning to understand the humility that we need to truly be able to get a hold of God. Psalm 37, verse 4 delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, we have a lot of verses on prayer. Ask, and he shall receive. Ask in faith, nothing wavering, and he'll give you what you're asking for, and those kind of things. We have a lot of verses about prayer that tell us that we should be doing that. But you want the desires of your heart? How do you get it? Right there. Delight thyself also in the Lord. And by the way, I don't think that means that God's going to give you everything your heart desires. I think that means God will change your desires. God will give you the desire that your heart should have. I believe that that's what that verse means. But I do believe also that God will give us whatever we ask for. If we're asking in faith, if we're asking according to his will, and if we're doing it because we're delighting ourselves in the Lord. 
in order to be prepared to pray, we must humble ourselves. But also, if you turn back over to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. That's the second point. If we're to prepare ourselves to pray and if we're really to get answers to our prayer, not only must we humble ourselves, but we must also turn from our wicked way. Turn over to Isaiah 59. I probably don't even need to remind you of the familiar verses regarding sin and prayer, but, but we'll look at a couple. And you know Psalm 66, verse 18, probably very well. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Boy, I, I, I can't imagine how many people this week prayed and asked God for something and he didn't even hear their request. Now think about, think about the magnitude of that statement. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's not that it doesn't say the Lord cannot hear me. It says he won't. He closes his ears to somebody who has sin in their lives. That means if we have one thing that we know is there and we're, we have not confessed it before God, he cannot answer our prayers. He can't even hear our prayers. And yet, so many Christians are, don't just have one or two sins in their heart. They're filled with sin, and they live in that sin. And it's, it's a besetting sin that they, that they continue to commit over and over and over and over again. And yet, we're going to get down on our knees and pray and ask God to do something. Or we're going to stand up in a service and pray and ask God's blessing on the service or whatever else with sin in our lives. And expect that God's going to hear us and do something. How foolish we are so often. To think that we can just live our lives the way we want to live our lives, that we can just sin without any consequences and then bow our knee before the throne of heaven and pretend that God is listening to our prayers. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says this, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. If you go back in that, earlier in that passage, and I, I'm not turned to there, I have, I have that verse written down, but, I, but in that, earlier in that verse, he says, has, is God's hand shortened that it cannot save? Has, has he stopped listening that he can't hear? No, it's not that God's lost his ability. It's that we have sin in our lives that's separating us from God, and he can't hear us when we have that sin. Why don't we see a movement of God today? in our country, and in our community, and in our churches, the way that they saw God do those things back then? Is it that God lost his ability? Did God lose his power? Is his hearing going bad because he's getting old? No, it's not that at all. It's us. We're the problem. He hasn't changed. We have. We're not as close to God as we used to be as Christians. We're not as right with God as we used to be as Christians. And we think that we can go out and sin and live our lives the way we want to and expect that God's just going to be there when we need him to be there. He's just going to answer because he's God and that's what he does. No, no. Your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. They're echoing off the walls and that's as far as they're getting. God cannot and will not answer the prayers of somebody who has sin in their lives. Every failure in prayer is due to a fault of our own hearts. God's promised us so much through prayer. In fact, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. So if we're not seeing the answers to prayer, the fault does not lie with God. The fault lies with us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 21. It says this, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, 
and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You want God to be able to use you like a person uses a vessel? We have to be sanctified in meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. I've said this before, but I think often about what it's going to be like someday when we stand before God. And, and I don't know if this is obviously going to be the way that it is, but I, I picture that when we stand before God and we're going to have to give account for everything that we did, and we're going to have to answer for every single failure we had, every single mistake we had. And by the way, the Bible even tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that we're going to give account for every idle word that we speak. If, if every idle word that we speak, we're going to have to give account for, imagine what else we're going to have to answer to God for. But, but I picture us standing in the room, the, the giant throne room where God is seated on his throne high and lifted up like the Bible says. And the angels gathered around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy. And we have to stand before God and answer to him for why we did this, why we didn't do that, why we weren't surrendered to him in this area, why we didn't pray the way we should, why we weren't right with him so we could pray the way we should. But I think there's probably going to be shelves in there of blessings that God wanted to give us. Souls that God wanted us to witness to. People that he wanted us to influence for the cause of Jesus Christ. Things that we could have accomplished for Jesus Christ, but we didn't because we weren't right with him. And how sad it's going to have to be when we hang our heads and say, oh, if, if only I could have had that. I didn't know that we had, I had that at my disposal. I didn't know that, that you had that for me. I didn't know you wanted to use me like that. But God has to say, I couldn't. I couldn't. You prayed and asked me to use you, but your heart was not right. Your heart was, was, was not clean. I couldn't, I couldn't use you. I couldn't give you those things. It's not that I didn't want to. I, I had these things. My hands were full. I wanted to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, but I couldn't. Because you weren't right with me. And I, I, I didn't even hear your prayers. Because your heart was not right. We have to get all that known sin out. The author of the Kneeling Christian said this, no sin is too small to hinder prayer and perhaps turn the very prayer itself into sin if we're not willing to renounce that sin. Can you imagine the revival that would break out? We want to talk about revival in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Could you imagine the revival that would break out? And the answers to prayer we would see if we just did everything we could to be right with God. Could you imagine how God could use us? God wants to do it. He's just waiting for us to be willing to cleanse ourselves from every sin. I'll continue with that story of John Hyde. The author says this, but he did not yet receive the blessing sought. He landed in India and went with a fellow missionary to an open-air service. The missionary spoke, said John Hyde, and I was told that he was speaking about Jesus Christ as the real Savior from sin. When he had finished his address, a respectable-looking man speaking good English asked the missionary whether he himself had been thus saved. John Hyde said, the question went home to my heart because I knew there was sin in my life that had not been taken away. I realized what a dishonor it would be on the name of Christ to have to confess that I was preaching a Christ that had not delivered me from sin, though I was proclaiming to others that he was a perfect Savior. I went back to my room and shut myself in and told the Lord that it must be one of two things. Either he must give me victory over all my sins and especially over the sin that so easily beset me, or I must return to America and seek there for some other work. 
I said I could not stand up to preach the gospel until I could testify of its power in my life. I realized how reasonable this was, and the Lord assured me that he was able and willing to deliver me from all sin. He did deliver me, and I have not had a doubt of that since. It was then and only then that John Hyde became praying Hyde. And it's only by such a full surrender and such a definite claiming to be delivered from the power of sin in our lives that you and I can be people of prevailing prayer. Turn over to Micah chapter 7. See, David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. That's a bold prayer that so few people are willing to pray because they already know what the answer is going to be and they don't want to hear the answer from God. Can you pray that prayer? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You put your finger on it. You show me what I need to change. And I will change it if you lead me. Boy, if, the, if, if every Christian in this auditorium this morning had that attitude, our church would be a different place. Our lives would be different. Our prayer lives would be different. We would be made very different people if that's our attitude. How about pray, God, do I have aught against my brother? God, am I filled with unbelief? God, am I completely surrendered to you? God, am I living selfishly? God, am I filled with pride? God, do I have a temper that I can't control? God, am I a gossip? God, are there things that I should not be looking at or listening to? How about pray those prayers? And the list could go on, but we get so afraid to pray those prayers because we don't want to hear God's answer. That's when those prayers need to be prayed most. Or be prepared to live a life of powerless prayer. Why even pray if we're not getting a hold of God? Why even get on our knees? Why even go through the motions? Why even waste a half an hour to get on our knees and ask God to do something in our church? Ask God to do something in our lives. Ask God to do something in your family's life. Ask God to do something in this area and in this community. Ask God to do something in our church. Why waste the time if we know that we're not right with God? Because that's exactly what it is. We're wasting time if our hearts are not right with him. And here's the best part. Micah chapter 7 and verse number 7 says this. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. And she that is mine enemy shall see it and shame shall cover her which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. Verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. What a wonderful thing that is. God wants to hear you pray and ask him to forgive those sins. And God wants to forgive those sins. And he will throw them as far away as the east is from the west. He'll bury them in the deepest part of the sea. He says, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. What a God we serve. But we have to get to the point where we're willing 
to humble ourselves and where we're willing to turn from our wicked ways. Number three, back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If we're to prepare ourselves for prayer, we must humble ourselves. We must turn from our wicked ways. But number three, we must seek God's face. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If God shows a difference between praying and seeking his face, then there must be something more that we should be doing than just praying. Right? He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. We mentioned this at the beginning, but seeking God's face is truly trying to get to know God. That's what seeking God's face is. That's what prayer is. We don't seek God's face the way that we should. We don't seek to know the holiness and the majesty of God the way that we should. We don't praise him for who he is. Prayer would not be a joke if we realized whose presence we are in when we pray. There would be nothing frivolous about prayer. I've heard people tack things on at the end of a prayer and help the Patriots win the Super Bowl. If you truly knew whose presence you were in when you were bringing your request before God, you would never pray something as frivolous as that. Prayer would not be a joke. Prayer would not be something that, is, that, that we make light of. It's making a mockery of prayer, and that's certainly not seeking the face of God. But let me give you this lastly. We must humble ourselves. We must turn from our wicked ways. We must seek the face of God, but also, and lastly and very simply, we must just pray. You want to get a hold of God in prayer, it's not going to happen if you don't pray. Seems like a, 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 an oxymoron, but uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to get a hold of God, but I'm not going to take any time to pray. I'm going to ask, I'm going to beg God to do something in my life. I'm going to beg God to do something in this community, but I'm not going to take any time to pray. I'm just going to say that that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to talk about it. The last part of that writing about praying hide says this. The point we wish to emphasize is the one already mentioned. A comparatively unknown man prays for John Hyde, who is then unknown to the world, and by his prayer brings down such a blessing upon him that everyone knows of him now as praying Hyde. Did you say in your heart, dear reader, a little while ago that you could not hope to be praying Hyde? Of course, we cannot all give so much time to prayer for physical or other reasons we may be hindered from long-continued praying, but we may all have this spirit of prayer. And may we not all do for others what this unnamed friend did for John Hyde? Can we not pray the blessing down upon others, upon your pastor, upon your friend, upon your family? What a ministry is ours if we will but enter into it. But to do so, we must make the full surrender that John Hyde made. Have we done it? Failure in prayer is due to the fault in the heart. Only the pure in heart can see God. What a revival would break out. What a mighty blessing would come down if only everyone who reads these words would claim the fullness of the Holy Spirit now. Do you not see why it is that God wants us to pray? Do you now see why everything worth having depends upon prayer? There are several reasons, but one stands out very clearly and vividly before us after reading this chapter. It is this. If we ask and God does not give, then the fault is with us. See, the very last thing the devil wants us to do is to pray. He would rather have us work our hearts out than pray because it's only when we pray that God works. So many of us would honestly rather get out and work than pray. Prayer is not easy, and sometimes it feels like we're really not doing anything. If 
if I had a choice between somebody saying, I'll, I'll go out on visitation and I'll take those two hours and I'll get on my knees and I'll beg God to do something for those who are out there doing that work, I think I would take that any day. Prayer gets a hold of God. A person who is a true prayer warrior will also be a witness in his daily life for Jesus Christ. Praying does not excuse you from working. But if we don't work and pray, and if we don't pray and work, we're not going to accomplish anything for the cause of Jesus Christ. You can work all day long, but if you're working without God's power, you're just spinning your wheels. You're just wasting time. I'm not saying that we should shun the work for prayer, but we will be so much more effective as witnesses and as Christians if we would truly pray. How do you pray? Well, that's the, that's the, that's the excuse that people use so often. Well, I don't know how to pray. You know what? Just pray. You know what prayer is? Prayer is a conversation between you and God. Just get on your knees and have a conversation with the one who loves you more than anybody else loves you, the one who cares about you more than anybody else cares about you, with the one who can actually answer those requests far more than anybody else can answer those requests. You have conversations all day, every day with people. You have conversations with your family and with your friends and with your coworkers. That's what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. And sometimes we do all the talking. Sometimes we just need to sit there and let God talk to us. Just have that communion with him. Get in your prayer closet. Get in your time alone with him. And have a conversation with God. Don't wait to be righteous or holy before you beg God for his power in prayer. That's when we need it the most. Find a time and a place. I remember hearing a story about a Christian. I've, I, I don't remember uh, who it was. It was possibly as one of the Puritans. I, I don't know. But he excused himself early from a gathering one night so that he could go home and get rest. And when they asked him, why, why are you leaving so early? He said, because I have an appointment with God every morning. And I dare not be tired and I dare not be late. Boy, if we all had that mindset in prayer, we'd never miss our prayer time. We'd never miss an opportunity to get on our knees before God and beg him to do something. We'd all have enough time. Thing is, and I, and I, I fall into this myself, it's not that we don't have enough time, it's that we don't make time. We find ourselves, if you were, if you were to literally take a 24-hour period of your time and, and, and just write down every single thing that you did and how long you did it, you would find that you have a whole lot of time in your life that you could be taking and using for other things. We have a lot of wasted time in our lives. It's not that you don't have time. It's that you don't make time for prayer. Let God know that you're serious. Make a commitment that you're going to pray. Those are the conditions to prayer, but we don't have to go it alone. We can have them fulfilled through the power of Jesus Christ. I want so badly to have God's power in prayer. God's been, God's been working on my heart about that. I don't, I don't pray the way that I should. I don't pray as often as I should. I don't pray with as much power as I should. And I want God's power in prayer. Because what's the point of doing it if we don't have God's power? And oh, the difference that we could make in this church if we would just get right with God, if we would just surrender everything to him, if we would just pray, God would do some great things through you, through me, through this church. We would see souls get saved. We would see lives be changed. We would see people surrender to Jesus Christ. Our hearts would be different. You can't keep a hard heart when your heart is right in prayer with God. Your heart becomes so soft and so tender that you just tell God, tell me what I need to change and I'll change it. 
Tell me what I need to fix and I'll fix it. Tell me what I need to do and I'll start doing it. But we have that hard heart, not letting go. Can't, God can't change me. He's not, he's not going to do it to me today. And then we're going to get on our knees and beg God to do something in our families. Get on our knees and beg God to do something in our church. Get on our knees and beg God to save this person or that person. All the while, our hearts are so hard. Stony ground. The Bible says, break up my fallow ground. Rid this heart of sinful stone. That's what the songwriter said. How foolish to allow something as simple as pride or sin to hinder my effectiveness for God. To quote one last time the author of The Kneeling Creation, he said this, our daily life in the world is the best indication of our power in prayer. God deals with my prayers, not according to the spirit and tone that I exhibit when I'm praying in public or private, but according to the spirit I show in my daily life. It's been said that all of the hindrances to prayer arises from the ignorance of the teaching of God's word on the life of holiness he's planned for his children and from an unwillingness to consecrate ourselves fully to him. I think prayer and revival go hand in hand. Because when you truly get to the point where you want nothing more than to have power in prayer, the only way that you get to that point is if you have a revival in your own life. And there are so few Christians who are willing to clean everything out, to give God access to every room in your heart, to, to, to truly allow God to mold you into whatever it is that he wants you to mold that he wants to mold you into. So few Christians are willing to say that. Hey, you look good this morning. There's a lot of us that are dressed up in shirts and ties and suit coats and we, and, and we look like Christians. And that's a good thing. We ought to look like a Christian if you are one. So many of us have gotten so good at looking good on the outside. And exactly what Jesus said about the hypocrites. You look good on the outside. You're a whited sepulcher, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. What a waste of a Christian life. What a waste of time in prayer. What a waste of pretending that we have God's power unless we really have it. And when you really get to the point where you are prepared to truly pray and have God's power in that prayer, then you'll have revival in your life at the same time. Second Chronicles 7.14, we use so often for a revival verse. And again, I think it fits great with revival. But it all starts with prayer. If we'd be willing to humble ourselves, if we'd be willing to seek his face, if we'd be willing to turn from our wicked way, if we just pray. And we can truthfully say to God, all that I am and all that I have is yours. And he can say to us, all that's mine is yours. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to truly have everything that God has at his disposal, at our disposal as well? Wasn't an accident that I had us sing that song this morning. Prayer is just as big as God is. Prayer is just as strong as God is strong. Prayer can reach as far as God can reach. Don't ever give up. Just pray. But we have to be prepared to pray. Our hearts have to be right with him. We have to be willing to seek his face. We have to be willing to have humility.
We have to be willing to turn from our wicked way. And then, once we've got all of those things down, we just have to do it. God wants to use you. God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to give you your requests. But we have to prepare our hearts before we can be prayer warriors. Won't you be willing to do that this morning? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to be here this morning. It's never an accident when you have a message and we're here. There's something that we can get from every single message that, that's preached because it's your message. It's from your word. And we're here for a reason. And God, if we're honest, I think every single person in this auditorium ought to be at the altar this morning because we all need to know how to pray. We all need to pray more. We all need to be able to pray with more power. We all need to be able to really, truly get a hold of God. And when we can't, then that means there's something in there that's holding that back. And so, God, I pray that you would send a revival to our hearts this morning. I pray that you'd break us. I pray that you'd help us to be truly humble before you. That we can be useful in your service. There is no point to doing what we're doing. There's no point to being here at church. There's no point to getting on our knees and praying. There's no point to begging you to do something in this community if our hearts are not right with you. So God, where hearts need to be gotten right, I pray that you'd help us to do it. Where hearts need to be softened, I pray that you'd help us to soften our hearts. Where that, that soil needs to be broken up, I pray that you would help us to allow the plow of the word of God to dig down deep and get all those weeds out by the roots. And God, I pray that we'd be a church that you can use because of it. And God, more than anything, I pray that these wouldn't just be words. Pray that it would translate into actions and that we would truly become people of prayer and that you'd be able to use us in a great way because of it. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand at your seats. We'll have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. This is just between you and God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your prayers are never going to make it past. The only prayer that God hears from somebody who is not saved is the prayer of faith turning to Jesus Christ. That's the only prayer that he'll ever hear. But for those who are saved, is unlimited what God can do. We have all the power of God at our disposal if we would just be willing to be right with him. And I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart this morning. And if God has spoken to your heart, then you come. Do business with God. Make a commitment that you're going to pray. Make a commitment that you're going to be right with him so that he can use you. Don't be worried about what other people around you think. Everybody knows we need to pray. Nobody's going to say, wow, that guy doesn't pray. If you need to deal with God, you do it this morning.